Amen. So, Second uh, John uh, chapter one uh, to begin with. Um, you know, not that you have it laid out this way, but I have Second uh, John on one sheet of paper, and Third John the same way, which is probably how John wrote them. Uh, the parchment that was used, not that you're all excited about this sort of historical fact, but um, the standard copy cut of manufactured par parchment was uh, around usually 10 inches long, you know, tall by 8 inches wide. So these were probably, much like this, written on one parchment and then sealed, folded, and delivered. Uh, in that way. So, you know, they're short, smaller uh, books in this sense. Uh, particular letters to particular people. Um, there's some debate, but we'll get into that. To start, verse 1, first two words, the elder. So this um, title uh, is given to John. He uses it upon himself. Um, it was more promoted by the church regarding him than he using it himself. Uh, his use of it is so that the church will accept his letters and accept his writings. Because uh, 12 were chosen, Judas perished in his rebellion, Matthias was the elected uh, uh, replacement. I think more likely Paul the Apostle was the chosen repla replacement of Judas by Jesus Christ, but uh, we'll sort that out in the presence of the Lord rather than arguing about it. Um, everyone has passed away of the original apostles, and now only John is left. And the church worldwide, you know, not that it was, you know, all the way around the globe, but the known world at this time referred to John as the elder. In Christianity because he was the only one left this man had been in the ministry of Je Jesus Christ been taught directly by Jesus Christ and then working with the Apostles and seeing doctrine and teaching develop uh, he had been part of all the debates and the corrections and uh, the solidification of the church and its teachings and uh, the questions the concerns the direction of the church now Falls singularly to John. John is answering all the questions. John is giving the direction. John is giving the teaching. He is the one elder who remains in the church who teaches the people. So this is a very significant title. Uh, they loved and revered him so much. I'm sure you've heard the stories that um, if John traveled uh, and went to churches, <clears throat> he was carried. Um, he would be uh, lifted on a chair and placed on a cart and given comfort and transported and then lifted in that chair down and often brought in that way to the church. Um, history records uh, factually that at the end of his ministry, at the very end of his life, a little later than this, um, the church would be waiting in anticipation. You know, if, if John the elder was going to come, uh, you know, a hundred, nearly a hundred years old, going to come and minister to you, and a, a man who had been taught directly by Jesus Christ. What is he going to say to us? What is the message going to be? This is so intense. You know, elder man transported, carried into the room, silent hush fall. He would often just hold up his hands, and the entirety of the sermon, you guys, was little children love one another. Whole thing. That's all he would say. You know, sometimes that was the strength he had, literally, to go through the trip, to go through the transportation, to be brought into the room. And, and you know, he's reserved these last, you know, strength-filled breaths to say, love one another. And, and for those of us that were here in the first John study, right, uh, John is so adamant about the self-sacrificing love. Right, he's put the definition to it hard. Right, he's given illustration. He's gone all over. He's explained what God's love is for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's 
clearly set that out. So when he says to the congregation, love one another, that's what he's talking about. Pain, endurance, self-sacrifice, discomfort. That's what he's saying to them. You need to endure these things in order to serve and give to others. Think about how far our culture is away from that. Think about how far our church culture is away from that, right? You know, the church gathers together and oh, you can you don't ever want to put up a suggestions box, right? I mean, the comments that will come about, you know, your atmosphere, the color of your carpet, the comfort of your seats, the flavor of coffee, the volume of the music, the musicians themselves, the appearance of blah, blah, blah. Everybody's got a huge opinion. What are we gathered together for? Word of God, right? That's what we're here for, that it would dramatically impact our lives and cause us to serve other people. Uh, uh, The Christian culture, so hung up on itself, it just always self-seeking. So, you know, a million miles away from the concept of I have been called to be a soldier and endure tremendous hardship in order to serve the body of Christ. The church really struggles with this concept and what's being taught. So uh, you're going to see two dominant um Uh, themes in both of these letters and they are number one that love that we've talked about and number two truth right again our culture is lost (laughs) doesn't oh my gosh i was just watching a documentary with my uh, my daughters and my sons-in-law and and the great debate over transgenderism right And, and literally Everyone that is on that side of the discussion is is questioning truth. Not the truth of transgenderism. Wholesale truth. Is there truth at all? Right. One of the guys that they're interviewing who is a professor who's teaching this garbage to college students is literally saying to the man who's interviewing him, the, the question is, can you, nothing more than this, as polite as you can possibly imagine, he is asking, can you please define for us what a woman is? Just asking that one question. He's not saying, I disagree with you, I want to argue with you, I have a talk. He's not saying any of that. He's saying you, as the person who's taking this position, can you define for us what a woman is? One of the guys is, I forget how he phrased it, but he's, he's telling you, you're skating on 30 seconds of thin ice. I will end this interview. Right? He's just asking, you know, can I ask you what a woman is? And this guy is just triggered in his woke position about the fact that, no, you can't ask me that. And, and he's just saying, well, I'm just trying to get to the, the truth of what a woman is. See, I, right there, I, that, that right there is hostile. What's hostile? Using the word truth. <laughs> Moments later, he's saying, now the truth about transgenderism, wait a second. You just said that truth is fighting words. Right, but a moment later, as long as it applies to you, you're willing, right, to put the gloves back on. It's it's the weirdest thing. John addresses truth. He defines love and he addresses truth. Right? I'll let the cat out of the bag. The truth is God's word. Right? Jesus summarized it that way. Right? My word is truth. Heaven and earth will disappear but my word will by no means disappear, right? He defines himself in the face of Pontius Pilate and his word as being truth. Oh, if we could get our culture there, amen? He's so confused. So the elder, he says, continuing in verse one, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Now, here's the deal. 
the the you know smart guys all then begin to argue about who is the elect lady. Well, honestly, we don't know. Okay, <laughs> is it the truth at whole, or excuse me, the church as a whole, or is it one individual? Well, guess what? Everything that John says to whoever the elect lady applies to us, right? So, so here, you don't have to debate at all about who is the elect lady. I like the idea that it's the church. That's a great concept that, that John is, oh, well, is it this specific individual? Is it somebody that we know? We don't know. It's amazing what people will argue about and they have no clue. No, no idea at all. You know, you can put the thought forward and say, this probably was a specific woman. Wonderful. This probably was the church as a whole. Wonderful. Everything that follows has great application to either one. Okay. I like to own it as a member of the church. You know, someone who is part of the bride of Christ and the children that follow. So see how it fits for you. To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Sounds pretty broad, doesn't it? You know, all encompassing. So take it how you want. Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Okay, he gets very specific about what the truth is. And the truth, as I said, is Jesus Christ, his word. Particularly, like we can, we can simmer this thing all the way down to the gospel, right? We can simmer it even further down to the love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That self-sacrificing love of your neighbor as yourself becomes very prominent in this short letter and the one that follows. It's, it's significant that we would understand that the word of God and the truth contained in it is why it's so significant, right? Galatians, those of you that are familiar with it, uh, specifically Paul is addressing the churches in the region of Galatia, and he is addressing the fact that they're being infiltrated by the Judaizers, but he talks specifically about how you're being pulled away by another gospel, you know, and he even mocks that uh, by saying if there was, you know, if it's even possible to create another gospel. There's only one good news, right? Jesus Christ, as God, became a man and in his perfect form allowed himself to be crucified so that we sinners if we would accept that Jesus was perfect and had died on our behalf, would not have to suffer the consequences of our own sin and death. Substitutionary atonement. That's the good news, right? That, that is the only good news. And then you turn on you know, the Discovery Channel and they're trying to tell you that they found the gospel, right, which is the good news, uh, of Judas, in Nag Hammadi, Egypt, you know, an entirely different continent, written by Gnostics 350 years after Jesus Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection. So now we're all to rush over to that thinking and say, well, what good news does Judas have for us? Zero, right? None. Betrayed the Lamb of God. You want to filter that in with, uh, you know, social justice warrior mentality and make it something else, fine. It's not the gospel we hold to. It's not the truth that God gave us. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ's shed blood alone. That's the good news. That's the truth we hold to. We don't have to go running after everybody else's. The only reason that they you know, pick those things up is because they're rejecting the good news already themselves. They're rejecting the gospel. So then they have to go around and find something else and label it the good news. There's one good news. Substitutionary atonement on the part of Jesus Christ. So the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Uh, 
the scripture as a whole, Jesus Christ in every detail, the gospel message, that's the truth that never fails. It's such a wonderful thing that we have apportioned to us. Verse 4, I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in the truth as we received commandment from the Father. Look, he talks more about this as we move on. But uh, I I like the fact, I, I think we're all arrogant, but maybe me more than everybody else. I, uh, when I first started in the ministry, I was just anxious to preach and share and convert people and disciple people. And uh, what I found was uh, I was getting nowhere. Yeah, I was doing a lot of work as a youth pastor. I was preaching everywhere. I get an opportunity, and you know, a, a good example is me running into a, a man that I had been just preaching the bark off from him for you know, a couple of years and no fruit and frustrating. And I see him several years later and he's on fire for Christ. And I had the arrogance to say, you know, something to the nature of, you know, so, you know, basically my work in your life finally led to your conversion. And he was like, what are you talking about? You know, and come to find out it was another ministry. It was another, you know, were seeds planted? Maybe, okay, but, you know, we want to take too much credit. He, he came to the Lord. Praise God. That's an awesome thing. Was I watering, planting? I don't know. Who cares? Probably nothing, right? You know, probably somebody else. Like, God had to move me out of the way. Like, let's, let's get down. This guy does need to get saved. Very observant. Well, good for you. Now get out of the way. And plant seeds and water, and boom, here it is fruitful. What do I care, right? He's saved. If he never remembers me for all of eternity, but he has a relationship with Jesus Christ and remembers him for all of eternity, praise God. Okay? So, so you know, it's it's been a nice thing in recent years to be disconnected from a lot of people. I have opportunity, been given opportunity by other ministries and circumstances to preach on a number of occasions. And in this case, now that I could care less, where I'm just being obedient to scatter the seed, I've had many come back and say, dude, you said stuff that changed my life. And now I, I try to be very faithful to say, to God be the glory. You know, this, this is a cool thing that you've come to know Jesus. Did God use me? And the process, well, that's ultra humbling. Now that I examine it, you know, perhaps in a more mature way. You know, here, John is saying, I met some of the kids and they love and serve the Lord. That's a cool thing. When, when you run into people that you've had relationships in the past, that you worked in their lives, and then you see them and they're fervent for the Lord, that's really cool. You know, you, you know, maybe something you said like, uh, took effect or maybe just your concern and your prayer. The Holy Spirit was paying attention to and worked in that case, you know, specifically regarding our own children. That's a great joy. And he talks about this and to have your children loving and serving the Lord. So here, uh, you know, your children whom I love in the truth, not only I, but also those who have known the truth because the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. So uh, grace and peace commonly addressed by the apostles. Here, John, grace, mercy, and peace. Let's take a minute and uh, define grace, right? Very often, uh, we have a sense in a human way of, Lord, give me justice. Well, really, when we say a thing like that, we more want justice weighed out on someone else. We're not overly concerned about justice being weighed out on us, right? Because that's just the smoking section of eternity. You know what I'm saying? Separation from God. Hell. 
I'm not interested in experiencing justice at all, right? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So, yes, we like mercy, right? You stood in front of the judge of all eternity and said, please forgive me. And he said, fine, you're forgiven. And we wiped away the concern and said, praise God. But then, because he loves us, he bestows tremendous peace and gifts and love upon that's the grace right mercy's you know justice is getting what you deserved mercy is not getting what you deserved grace is getting blessing you did not deserve that's an amazing thing that the lord would care for us and give to us provide for us watch out protect for us the grace that comes from the lord and that's where the peace is found, right? To reference Galatians, again, he dwells on the fact that salvation comes through grace. You believe what Jesus Christ is telling you, and he gives you salvation because of grace, saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's as simple. Anytime you add something to Jesus Christ, um, you know, I, I don't mean to beat up any one group, but, uh, you know, there are those that are of the apostolic uh, frame of mind that say, if you're going to be saved, then you have to be baptized in Jesus name. OK, so they'll say uh, of probably everyone in this room or most of us, right, have baptized some that are in this room uh, that you're not saved. Because when Will baptized you, all he said was, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Never actually used the magic word Jesus, which is implied in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. right? But because I didn't say the specific words, I baptize you in the name of Jesus, then you're not saved. Okay, so there's a work that man is performing that that group says you have to go through them to receive an experience. And even if I started saying like, okay, now I'm going to say in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, if I, if I include it, I would not say why, because it's not them doing it, right? Because they're of the apostolic order. So really you have to be part of their church. They have to perform this ritual. They say the magic words over you and then you're saved, right? I, we can go a long ways in into, into a number of other things, but I think you get the gist, right? I'll just ask you, was the thief at the cross baptized in Jesus' name? He believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, right? What if you don't believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, but they baptize you in Jesus' name? Are you saved? Right? You must believe that's the issue. Uh, so adding anything to Jesus actually nullifies what Jesus is doing in the midst of that. So we want to be very careful about these things. The grace that Jesus Christ imparts to us, extending mercy, giving us salvation, provides us with peace. Right? You've been a screw-up all day, short-tempered, I don't know what. Whatever it was you did, that was bad, and you're feeling really bad about yourself and thinking, like, I don't know, if the Lord came back right now, I might not make it. Are you believing Jesus Christ for salvation? Because I can assure you that you will make it without question. Why? Because it's the grace of Jesus Christ that's giving you that salvation. You know, there are always people like, ah, see, that sounds like you're preaching, you know, some other form of the gospel. You're just giving people a free pass. No, no, I'm just telling you that Jesus Christ is handing out free passes. That's it. Right there. Everything we do is a result. It's a loving response to the fact that Jesus Christ has been that merciful and that gracious with us. So just to move on uh, here, I rejoice greatly, as I said, uh, having found some of your children walking in the truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Okay, now look, 
You need to put that right in the center of this letter as it is. It's in the middle of the letter. I don't know if it's exactly in the middle, but you can see it contained there in the middle of this letter. And, and what John is saying is the commandment that has come from the Father that I am imparting to you as the elder of the church is that you love one another, right? In the self-sacrificial love that was described by him in the previous letter and is in fact here in the original language of the Greek emphatically stated, self-sacrificing love. Right. This is not what the church looks to today of, oh, friendship. Oh, we'd like to hang out with one another. We like to go bowling together. You know, the Christian bowling league, we're all, that's, yeah, friendship. Brotherly love is awesome. But guess what? You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And that brotherly love is only going to cover so much. There are conflicts within the church. You're going to painfully discover that you're attending church with human beings. And let's be blunt, sinners. Sinners, the whole church is full of sinners. I can't believe it. What are we doing? It would be nice <coughs> if there weren't any. That old statement, if you're looking for the perfect church, if you find it, don't go. You'll ruin it. You know, why? Because you're a sinner. This is what the church is made up of. So how do you get along with sinners? How do you forgive them and their shortcomings? Well, you know, when they look at you wrong, when they back into your car in the parking lot, when they, you know, do all kinds of whatever human thing it is, you, you do it through unconditional self-sacrificing love. You have to address the issues. We talked that a lot in our last study in first uh, John but self-sacrificing unconditional love is how you're going to accomplish what's being stated here well how are you ever gonna be a self-sacrificing unconditional person who loves you that's just like how are you gonna do that you're gonna love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind and when you do He's going to impart to you the ability to do that very thing. So the commandment that is being delivered here implies the superior commandment. I want you to love with an unconditional love the people that are around you. And if you're left saying, can't do it, right. Probably because you haven't drawn close to the Father the way that you should and experience his unconditional love. Experience his unconditional love. It'll make it very, very simple for you to love other people. How about this, you guys? My pastor, Ken Graves. <clears throat> uh, I've been down here 20 years as a senior pastor. Uh, I, I served in that ministry for 13 years prior to be, being sent out. I've called Ken. Um, I'm, I might be exaggerating if I said a dozen times in 20 years. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely not exaggerating when I say six times, right? I've called him up and apologized for having been me in the first 13 years that he had to deal with. Why? Because I just dealt with myself moments before that. Somebody came in and I was literally just left like, smashing my head against the wall like I cannot believe these circumstances that I'm having to deal with. But as I'm listening to them and dealing with it, I'm looking at myself five years ago, 10 years, 20 years ago, where Ken was dealing with me. And he was being so kind and so gracious and showing me the things I needed to see. And now here I am dealing with a situation and I'm having to extend that same grace to somebody else. Why? Because I was brought into the presence of the Heavenly Father and taught that unconditional love that he had for me. And now that I know that unconditional love he had for me, I get to sit with someone else and teach them of that unconditional love from the Heavenly Father and from myself.
right? Comforting others with the comfort we ourselves have been comforted with, as Corinthians says. The grace of God, the love. So the, the new commandment that is being spoken of here is this commandment of love. This, this, this takes especially the Jewish believers from that place of, oh, i got to obey all these commandments. You know, I, I've, I've got first thing in the morning, I've got to do this and I've got to worship in this way. And then throughout the day, I got to do this. And I, I on the Sabbath, I can't travel this far. And then on these days, I've got to do it. And I can never eat any of these things. And I also always need to eat these things. And when I perform my sacrifice, it has to be this way. All these rules, law, right? The Jews who are all wound up on that, John is saying there's a simple commandment that Jesus Christ gave us. He covered all of those other legal requirements for us. If we embrace him in that, we can simply love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. The new commandment for the New Testament. It gets very simple here. That, uh, but that which we have had from the beginning. So I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love. So he's referring back to that, that selfless love, unconditional. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. The commandment is love. He's clarifying. You don't have to get all wound up with all these other commandments. The commandment is love, self-sacrificing. Walk in it. Be consistent in it. Uh, for many deceivers, right, not a few, not one, not a couple, many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Now, remember how in 1 John they had denied that Jesus had come in the flesh? Because the Gnostics had this whole teaching about anything that was material was evil, only those things which were spirit or of the spiritual were good and spiritual, and so now they have to teach, oh, Jesus was never material. He was never flesh, right? He walked as a phantom or a ghost. They make up stories about how he never ate food. When he walked on the beach, he didn't leave footprints. John clarifies that, no, Jesus was flesh. He even clarifies Jesus ate food. He ate fish. He ate honeycomb. Even after the resurrection, right, Jesus was material. He was flesh so he clarifies the false teachers the false prophets will come and say jesus never came in the flesh this you, you want to catch this strong what he's saying right here is coming in the flesh so so he puts this in future tense right jesus christ as coming is the idea of is coming in the flesh right you talk to the jehovah's witnesses and uh, you know up until, was it uh, 18 or 19, 14, uh, where uh, they were saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. They set dates. It doesn't happen. So now they say, oh, well, he actually did come. He just came in the spirit. He's not coming in the flesh. So now if you say Jesus Christ is coming back in the flesh, you know, the, the uh, uh, um, Rapture of the church, his his second coming eventually when he'll set up his kingdom. They'll say, no, no, that's all spiritual. It's not going to happen physically. Here's John saying, anyone says he's not coming physically, he's a false teacher. He's a deceiver, right? Keep that in mind, church. Because there's a whole bunch of people that are saying this outright today. Inside Christianity, we shouldn't be looking for Jesus. No, no, that's the only thing I'm looking for. That's it. That's the only thing I teach you guys to look for, right? The second coming of or the, the rapture of the church first, and then the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are looking for that. For the people that say, oh, rapture, you know, that's not taught in the Bible. That's false. Uh, you know, harpazo, caught up, snatched away. Uh, there in Thessalonians, uh, de defined later as raptus, and the Latin becomes the word rapture in English. Yes, no, the rapture is taught in the scripture. And people go, oh, well, when is it going to happen? Before the, tribula before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation. Okay, would you agree, Jesus Christ, saying that no man shall know the hour nor the day? Right? Uh, so the idea that you can't possibly know when he's coming means 
that there is nothing that has to happen before his coming. Right? I mean, that's that's a biblical concept. I've had good Christian brothers who are excellent pastors who, you know, insist, no, it's going to happen. We're going to see the tribulation unfold, and then Jesus Christ is coming. So I say to them, so are you saying the tribulation has to happen before Jesus Christ can come back? When I word it that way, that locks them up. Because Jesus left and the apostles taught, there's nothing inhibiting Jesus Christ's return. And that's what we're looking for. You start teaching, oh, uh, got to see the Antichrist first. Got to see uh, mid-trib. You got to see the end of the tribulation before Jesus Christ returns. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what the church taught. That's not what John taught. Taught that Jesus Christ is coming back. So we'll move forward with this. Jesus Christ as coming, is coming in the flesh this is a deceiver, an antichrist. Anyone who would say Jesus Christ is not coming back physically, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Don't let anybody deceive you into thinking Jesus is going to come back spiritually because it will rob you of what the Lord has promised for you. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Now, this is twofold that he's putting forward here. One is unconditional love. The second one is the doctrine that Jesus Christ is coming back physically. Okay, It reaches broader than that, but here within the subject, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. So, oh, I'm a deeply spiritual person. I believe in God too. But I don't think Jesus Christ is coming back physically. Well, you're not deeply spiritual and you do not love God. Simple as that. This is what the scripture is saying right here. Anyone who wants to insist that has departed from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be very careful about that. He does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son, right? Not to dwell on the Jehovah's Witnesses because we could expand out into the Mormons. Oh, I'm a Christian too, they will say. You know, I believe in God the Father. Well, do you believe that Jesus the Son is also God? And they'll say no. Well, then you don't have the Father. You want to insist that you have the Father, but you don't believe in the Son as God. If you do not abide in the doctrine of Jesus Christ being God, then you don't even have the Father. You shortchanged yourself in the whole process. So, uh, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Okay, so let's simplify. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Do you want to share in his deeds and in his punishment? Certainly not. Okay, so when they come to you, right, on Saturday morning at your doorstep, when they show up on their bicycle in their black and white outfit and their little badge, do you welcome them into the house? Do you, do you because if you do, then consider what's being said right here, Right? Uh, you know, uh, I, I struggle with this with a lot of Christians because I make a very bold, very strong statement on these things. And then, you know, this whole ecumenicalism that is in Christianity of, oh, let's all just get along. We're all, yes, it's all different beliefs, but let's all just love one another. Okay, they're literally taking young Christians and stumbling them away from the Lord into an eternity separate. Why would I be friendly with that? They show up on my doorstep, and I tell them to get off my doorstep. And they get all offended about why. I say, because I'm a pastor, and I'm preaching the gospel, and I'm bringing people into the kingdom, and you serve my enemy. Oh, well, that's not very Christian of you. How would you know what is Christian and what is not? You serve the devil. You're in the community destroying the work of my heavenly father. I got nothing friendly for you. I pray that you find the truth. I've led one Jehovah's Witness to the Lord, and that was miraculous, right? I dismiss them. I make a presentation of 
you're not welcome here. And I pray that every place you go today, you're met with opposition of good Christians who are capable of teaching you the truth of God's word. I pronounce that prayer upon them as they walk away. You usually see them flare right up and say all kinds of vile things as they walk away. It's something very serious you need to consider. I made a big deal recently, and some people were upset with me, and so I'll make a big deal again. Um, The application known as The Chosen, the video series that everybody's watching, uh, produced by Catholics, okay, prominently one Catholic bishop that's involved in it, filmed on Catholic sets and on Mormon sets, okay? They, they have all kinds of depictions of Jerusalem where they film things and where they do things, where they put the angel Moroni and Joseph Smith in place and all these other false teachers, and they do their filmings there. So they're lending them out to the production of The Chosen. Okay, uh, again, I'm not renouncing it or denouncing it. Okay, I'm simply saying this. It's only entertainment. That's all it is. The Chosen is not the Bible. The Chosen is not the Gospel. I don't know how far you've watched, right? And recently I read they depicted Matthew as having autism. And that's why he was so good with numbers. But, but the other apostles hated him because he was so difficult to deal with and he had this disability and on and on. Look, you're taking some serious art, artistic license at that point uh, to create these things that aren't contained in the Scripture and to move it into a more modern interpretation than what the Scripture ever allowed. Entertainment. You want to watch it for entertainment? Please, please watch. I encourage you. If you want to watch it, watch it. But please do not take it and, and think like, oh, that is a more clear understanding of God's word than I've ever had. You want to find a more clear understanding of God's word than you've ever had? Spend time in God's word. Pray and read more than you ever have. You want to have a clearer understanding? If you only spend 15 minutes a day, try a half hour. Right? If that's not, do an hour. Have you spent the whole day praying in the Word of God, right? Taking time off, gotten away, just prayed and fasted from everything else in order to hear God's Word? That'll help you grow. These doctrines that are non-Christian, we need to stay away from them. um, I'm clearly not going to get to 3rd John. I might. I don't think so. Charles Taze Russell, founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, hated Christianity. In his youth, was in constant conflict with the religious leaders of his communities. Everywhere he went, thrown out of churches, thrown out of Bible studies. Why? Because in his youth, he was preaching and teaching the things that his father, who hated Christianity, had taught him. He didn't believe in the Trinity didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in a whole lot of things that are doctrinal truths from the scripture. Massive opposition till he's eventually thrown out. So when he gets thrown out, he forms initially what becomes known as the Watchtower Bible Study, later becomes Watchtower Society, later becomes what we now today know as the Jehovah's Witnesses. From his youth, he despised Christianity, the doctrines of Christianity, and fought against them. He was expelled by Christianity. This guy was so in opposition to Christianity that uh, he was in one location and a Baptist minister took out a full page uh, of the local newspaper and and printed Charles Taze Russell's teachings and then gave the biblical answers as to why he was wrong. Right, This new preacher is saying that Jesus Christ is uh, Michael the archangel, you know, and he, he, so he puts down each one of their false teachings and then he gives the biblical answers to it. Uh, Russell sued him, right, because he'd put it in print, sued him for libel. So now there's a court case. 
This can all be found. You can read the court documentation. So now Charles Taze Russell's on the stand, right? He's suing the Baptist minister. So he's not being sued and being dragged in there. He's dragging the Baptist minister in there for having printed the truth of God's word. So now he's on the stand. The Baptist minister's lawyer comes up and hands him a sheet of paper and says, since you have translated a new version of the Bible, we want to ask why it is that you interpret things differently than every translator previous to you. Russell says bold face because I'm a better Greek and Hebrew scholar than any of those before me. That's a bold claim, right? Uh, they said, great. So can you um, tell us what this document says? And he says, I, I could not at this time uh, without my study helps tell you what that document says. They say, oh, well, okay. You're a better scholar than anyone who has been before you. Uh, can you interpret for us any one line? from this document just can you read not we don't need a perfect interpreter just, just read a line off this uh, i could not at this time how about a word often i could not at this time without my study helps how about a single letter could you read a single letter off of this page for us uh, no i could not and the defense lawyer says well i'd like to submit into evidence the most modern translation of the greek alphabet and that went in as evidence. He couldn't read a single letter from the Greek alphabet, you guys. And people follow him in droves today, his teachings in droves today. Uh, you know, Joseph Smith, similar things. Are we aware that Joseph Smith died in a gun battle with the FBI as his followers tried to free him from custody? You know, he made up fantastic stories about the golden plates. Um, there's an interesting documentary on uh, Prime. Uh, Brigham Young was his follower who took over. Uh, Brigham Young had a copy of the Golden Plates made, right? Uh, none of the writing on it is accurate. It's just gibberish so that people could have sort of an illustrative thing to look at. Um, he had it made out of lead because it was very easy to create the cast and the form Lead melts at a low heat. Uh, his granddaughter is a born-again Christian now. Brigham Young's granddaughter is a born-again Christian. She has those plates, which were, according to Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, that was an exact replica of the original golden plates. Okay, That stack of lead plates, gold is heavier than lead. That stack weighs 350 pounds. Okay, exact measurements, all these details, 350 pounds. If it was made out of gold, as Smith implies, it would have been heavier, right? He tells a story about of an occasion where he was in the woods uh, going to read from the plates in order to bring back an interpretation, and men who had found out that he had golden plates followed him, and once he had uncovered them, they attacked him. He grabbed the golden plates and ran five miles through the woods. Remember the last time you ran through the woods with a refrigerator? 350 pounds. He literally had no calculation in his mind about how heavy it was going to be. He gave all kinds of explanations of how he carried it here, he carried it there. And it was not until much, much later that someone asked him and he had no explanation. How did you carry this thing alone? He never did, right? What people don't understand, right, is he's saying that he is reading from the plates, but what we find out from their writings is he actually would put his head in a hat. And that is where he said he could see the words from the plate, and he would read them out loud, and someone would write them down. Okay, When questioned about this, he even expanded it further and said that the angel Moroni gave him a special set of glasses that he referred to as the Urim and Thummim, which were articles that were in the priest's breastplate 
that when he put the Urim and the Thummim on, he could read the ancient Reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics. That's what he called the words that were on the golden plates. That when he put the Urim and Thummim on, he could read the plates. And that's how he made the translation. I'm going to take this a little further. We got five minutes, so just stay with me on this concept. <clears throat> the Bible that we read from originally portions of Genesis were actually written in Aramaic, okay? Uh, later translated into Hebrew in an entirety, apparently by Moses. Uh, the Aramaic history class may have come from actually the writings of Adam and the writings of Abraham, as they recorded prior to Moses. Difficult to say, but there's that's a safe speculation. So you get the Aramaic, then you get the Hebrew. Um, during the captivity, the Jewish believers ask for a Greek translation because that becomes the common spoken tongue. So the Aramaic translated into Hebrew is then translated into Greek. So as then Christianity is born and New Testament is added in raw Greek, and then they want the Old Testament uh, to couple together, then you get a couple things that are uh, translated. Latin, Vulgate, appears, and German translation, which then get blended together, which then get interpreted into English, right? 1611, King James. Uh, modern translations move forward from there. Here's the deal. When you translate from Aramaic into Hebrew, into Greek, into Latin, into German, into English, you end up with a very specific linguistic pattern, right? All the way up into English, there are traces of Aramaic in what we read. Uh, all the way up, you have traces of each of these languages that come all the way to the English. Uh, the people who are linguists look at the English translation and they can tell you, oh, that's actually from the Aramaic and that's from the Hebrew and that's from the Greek and that's from the Latin and that's from the German and this is original English. All of the scars of the language change are there. Joseph Smith's writings of the Book of Mormon all contain Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, German, and English. The implication? He's not reading from an original language that he defines as the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. He's imagining from his own memory, his experience, and maybe even from reading from the Bible. Many of the passages are lifted straight out of the, the I mean, verbatim right out of the English Bible. And all he did was go through and change the names and the locations. The, the, the verse construct, everything is written. Lies is what I'm telling you. Lies. These people, you guys, here's John, the elder, right? We're getting the last glimpses of Jesus Christ's ministry through men. And he's saying, don't have anything to do with these people. Reject them wholesale. The church is not doing that. The church is allowing this pollution, encouraging the church. You guys, is it any wonder people are falling away from Christianity? Is it any wonder the church is falling apart? Because they've abandoned these things. Oh, well, John said that, you know, it's a very drastic thing in his day. You know, he was just trying to do his best. He didn't know. He didn't know that we needed to be more gracious and loving. Embrace these people, pull them in. He's literally telling us here, anyone comes to you does not share this doctrine. In particular, just from this letter, we've got a few things. The unconditional love, self-sacrificing love, Jesus Christ's gospel, Jesus Christ is going to come in the flesh in our future. So if we just stay to that, anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this doctrine, right? Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that I just described to you and many, many others. Okay, how about Catholicism, right? Oh, you beat up the Catholics. Well, you said that chosen was done on these Catholic sets. Well, how about this, right? People get upset with me because the church, you know, there's a reason 
we are defined as Protestant. We are protestant against what? Roman Catholicism. That's, that's what uh, Martin Luther was protesting. Okay? He was protesting Protestant Christians, protesting the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, well, you're saying there aren't. No, there are Christians in Catholicism. Okay, but, but how about this? If you're not baptized by the Catholic Church and continue as a Roman Catholic in good standing, then you are not saved according to Catholic doctrine. That, that means all of us who do not attend Roman Catholic churches are unsaved according to their teachings. That's a different doctrine. Okay, and, and this whole acceptance and embracing and allowance has polluted Christianity to the core. There's a reason the Protestant Reformation had to take place. Because the church had developed and embraced doctrines that were completely false. I, I say again, very clearly, because I have clearly offended people, if not in this room, online. Okay, so, so here's the deal. I know there are Christians inside Catholicism. I get that, right? Are we supposed to pray to anyone else other than Jesus Christ? No. To pray to anyone else other than Jesus Christ, according to the scripture, according to Jesus Christ himself, is idolatry. Why would Christianity want to engage in idolatry? There have been more uh, serious things that have polluted the church all along the way. Here's what I'm telling us this evening is the purity of Jesus Christ's doctrine is what we need to hold to. I'm not some ultra, you know, uh, I'm the only one, we're the only doctrine right, you know, we're the only correct church. That, that's obviously wrong. Uh, what we need to do is make sure that we're not uh, incorporating ourselves into other things and letting them infiltrate into our churches. I, I did an interview, in case you're wondering about this, I did an interview with a man who I was part of a board of directors and we were going to hire him as a school administrator who came from a Roman Catholic institution. And all of these people, pastors and ministers, they're all asking them these questions. And I'm literally like, why are we even interviewing this guy? Okay, <clears throat> we get done and I say, okay, here's what I want to do. All these other pastors, all these other people in the room, I just say, I just want to ask you, this man who's interviewing for the job, who's in, he's got his white collar on. He's Roman Catholic. There. I say, <clears throat> how were you saved? His answer was, I was baptized as a child. And I've continued in Catholicism ever since I was in my youth. And I look around the room and all these other faces that are this community's pastors and leaders are all like, mm, yeah, okay. And I said, wait, wait a minute, guys. I want to ask all of you who are in leadership here, <clears throat> do you understand what this man just said? And they're like, yeah, we do. We understand. I said, so uh, do you believe? I ask each of them. Do you believe that your, your salvation comes through baptism? And they're all like, no. I said, this man, he's sitting right here. I haven't, like, stopped. I'm saying it right in front of everybody. I'm saying, this man... Is saying <coughs> that his salvation comes through baptism <coughs> and his faithful attendance in the Roman Catholic Church. And they're like, really? I asked the man outright. He says, yes. That is a very, forgive me, <coughs> different doctrine than our doctrine. <coughs> the church is very confused about what proper doctrine in Christianity is. If anyone comes to you, verse 10, and we'll close this out, and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. And just in case you're wondering, that doesn't mean you can't say hello. Okay? This greeting that he's referring to 
is the blessing of departure. Okay, where you would say like, God bless as they leave or God speed, right? Yeah, old term or even more accurate, fare thee well. Right? Somebody comes with a false doctrine to your doorstep and they're going to leave and go pollute your neighbor. Your words should be, I'm praying that you fail at your mission to subvert my neighbors and destroy their lives with your false doctrine. The church is really off base with this. Really off base with what the church should be doing. You know, you want to say to them, hey, I'd love to teach you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why don't we get a coffee together sometime? Okay. You know, you're bringing them into your house, welcoming them, greeting them, wishing them well as they go. John says, don't do that. Why? For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Fare thee well. <laughs> you're blessing him on his departure? No. No. That That's wrong. So close it out. Having many things to write to you, <coughs> I do not wish to do so <coughs> with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Letters, emails, um, things sent don't even come close to spending time with the body of Christ, seeing one another face-to-face. -face. Look, I don't mean to insult anyone who's online right now. But that pales in comparison to this. We need this. You need this. Where we are together caring for, learning of, learning from one another. Interlocked working together. Very, very, right to you a ton. In the end, it's the face-to-face, -face, right? How many times have you gotten an email, you know, that just says something simple like, what you doing? If you're married, depending on how the morning went, you might get that and think that the email is asking, what you doing? Right? Tone, can't hear tone. Can't see face, can't see expression, don't know body language. What is going on with this text? My wife, God bless her, love her so much, love her to pieces, right? She'll do this thing where she'll pick up her phone and be like, hey, could you do me a favor? Blah, 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 Send. I get what in the world is this? It is all over the map. There's just, you know, she stopped, paused, crazy stuff. I have to type back and just say, what were you trying to say? Face-to-face, -face, much better. Much better, right? Look, FaceTime doesn't even do it. This, oh my gosh. I call up my granddaughter. I need a heavy dose of Dramamine, right? Because she's like, Papa, and now we go on a roller coaster ride through the house, out in the yard, look at the dog, you know, it's just crazy. Face to face. These things are great, but they don't replace face to face. The church needs to get face to face, right? Uh, um, one more comment, I'll try to, um, you know. We've all got to be worried. We're all going to get sick if we come face to face. So stay home. Don't come together. Right? This is what they're doing to us. Right now, what's the new? Monkeypox, right? right? Well, here, here's the thing, right? History lesson. I'll get emails on this one for sure. AIDS, when it started, was originally called GRIDS. Gay-related immune deficiency syndrome. The homosexual community lost its mind and demanded that the American Medical Association change that. At the time when they were doing that, 100% of the people who were sick with GRIDS, they were all gay. 
100% of them. It began to filter out into public blood transfusions and surgeries and then, you know, bisexual relationships and other things. Uh, but the, the the massive core of it, homosexual. Monkeypox, sexually transmitted disease, almost entirely amongst the homosexual community. Right? Almost entirely amongst the uh, 6,600 last week cases in the United States. I, as I looked it up, 6,585 of them homosexual community. Okay. Uh, well, here, here, I'm not trying to be cruel, right? We love them. We support them. We want to help them in any way that we can. We want them to come here to our church. We want them to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, have no animosity at all. But here, here's the deal. You, in this room, how do you protect yourself against monkeypox? It's pretty simple, right? You don't have to stay home. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to stop obeying what the scripture told you about gathering together as the church. Probably gathering together as the church would be a greater help in avoiding it. The government and its overreach and the things that are being suggested and insisted, right? We, we want to be careful about who we listen. They don't bring you this doctrine, right? Don't listen. Jesus Christ is our Savior and face-to-face -face is commanded in Hebrews chapter 10, 25. Commanded. That's a commandment given to the church. No longer forsake the gathering together as some have taught, especially as you see the day approaching. We need to be together face to face that our joy may be full, right? Not so that we can sharpen our we weapons, create our flag, you know, clean our guns <laughs> so that we can love one another and learn how to love the world that's outside our walls. That's what Christ wants us to do. Uh, not fear. Lastly, the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Um, the, the church of Christ. Isn't it wonderful to go to another town and you go to a church that isn't a Calvary Chapel? They're another denomination and you discover, wow, I have brothers and sisters here. This is a wonderful place. I can sense the spirit. I can sense the work of the Lord. You know, sisters, brothers, bridging across these communities that we have. So, uh, you know, what John is writing to us here, you can hear it. Uh, centrally, unconditional love. Secondly, truth within this. Lastly, fellowship in the body of Christ. So let the Lord minister to you. And next week we'll dig into Third John and see how far we get through that. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's stand and we'll pray. <clears throat> Father God, we are very, very grateful for your grace and the way that it provides us with peace. Help us to be men and women who not only fully embrace that concept, but that we learn it very deeply and that we share it with the world. Lord, I would lastly, just to clarify, say, Lord, fill us with your spirit and help us to reach the Mormons the Jehovah's Witnesses, the homosexuals, Lord, that, that our the love you've bestowed upon us, the unconditional love you've bestowed upon us would be our central message and theme as we go out into the world, bringing people into the body of Christ and into your presence. Use us as your ministers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.